This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the MagicWordPodcast.com. This week's episode, as usual, is brought to you by the Friends of the Magic Word, and occasionally we do have sponsors in which we want to tell you a little bit about their particular company or whatever's going to be going on, their conventions or their books or something that's going to be coming out. Well, this week, actually, there was something that kind of excited me such to the point that I thought I'm not going to request that they pay for sponsorship because I think this is an important book that uh, magicians should have in their library. It's just being released, and that's called Channing Pollock, Master of Magic, is written by Michael Pascal. Or Pasco, I guess. I friend, my friend uh, James Mayer was the one who told me about this, and I have been reading through it, and I'm thoroughly enjoying not just the content, but also the writing style of Michael. It's it has taken, as he has said, over you know, tens of thousands of hours, I guess, of putting all this together. Because heretofore there really hasn't been much, if anything, written about uh, Channing Pollock, so it's difficult to try to piece together. A little bit here and a little bit there, and then from all his travels and everything around the world, fascinating, fascinating stuff uh, for him to have actually sleuthed this all out and put this together. Because, again, if you look up uh, Channing Pollock, you really don't find too much as far as his biography goes until you come to this book, which has... I think about 572 pages. Yeah, this is a major tome. Let me just read just an excerpt, which kind of, to me, it's in the prologue that uh, highlights a little bit about, he shows you his writing style and, uh, and a little bit about the book itself. He says, quote, Then there are those magicians who use animals as part of their list of props, not just an inanimate, lifeless prop, but a living creature with a soul and sensitivity. The fragility of this creature became the center of dramatic tension and direct conflict with its earlier magical scenario of being destroyed and then brought back to life. The magician used these creatures during a portion of the act to demonstrate some sort of performance art as if the conjurer was God himself. Anyhow, that just again, kind of highlights the type of writing that uh, Michael does in this book. If you're interested in uh, Dove Magic or biographies of important legends of magic, because he was not just a cog in the machine, he was actually the main engine of the machine for dove art, dove magic, I should say. You might want to check this out if you go to themagicwordpodcast.com and you scroll to the bottom of this week's blog, you'll see a link there where you can go and purchase this, and when you do, then it will help us a little bit, because when I say that this uh, we're not being sponsored by by the author, nor this book, but uh, we are being sponsored maybe by you. If you buy the book, we get a few cents back when you purchase this. Anyhow, so let's get going into this week's episode because it is the Halloween season. This is the month of Boo, and we would be remiss if we didn't do something having to do in honor of the macabre or Houdini or something like that. Well, this week we are talking with Terry Tyson, who does a lot of seances, and he and I have been friends for a short amount of time, but I've enjoyed every moment I have had with him. 
he's also a martini drinker like me. So <laughs> another reason we kind of enjoy sitting down to uh, have chats. But he also, again, does seances and uh, he uses pendulums. And so this week we talk a little bit or actually extensively about uh, pendulums and about seances in general. Okay, I'm going to step out of the way because there's a lot he has to say and we have just a little bit of time uh, for this podcast. So please welcome my guest this week, Mr. Terry Tyson here on The Magic Word. Today, I have a guest with me all the way from California, who is someone uh, who I have run into and uh, chatted with from time to time at some of uh, some interesting conferences. And we'll talk about that, uh, particularly uh, Poe's uh, Magic Conference, which is a, a conference for storytelling. And um, but also someone who is involved on the um, hmm, bizarre type, I guess, of uh, of, of magic. Uh, but but mainly trying to make something that's going to be more interesting from the standpoint it's not just bubblegum for the eyes, but it's something that is more more spiritual for the mind and something to uh, chew on, I guess, with your mind. And uh, uh, Terry Tyson has been doing seances for uh, quite a while and has uh, talked about that, lectured about that. He also uh, specifically does a lot of things with uh, corporate uh, work in which he is a uh, uh, comes in not just as a guest speaker, but then also in doing workshops and uh, helping companies to um, to understand things better then as well. Uh, of course, he does a lot of shows uh, as a magician and as a mind reader. And he is from time to time, again, a guest at some of these type of uh, spiritualism type conferences. I don't know if I'm, I wouldn't say spiritualism, but uh, we'll get into all that. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about here on this uh, Halloween episode. So please welcome my friend, Mr. Terry Tyson. Hi there, Terry. Hey, Scott. Good to see you again <laughs> and, and talk to you again. It's been way too long. It has been. And I wish we did live a little bit closer, but you were telling me you're moving across the country from uh, all the way from California over to North Carolina. Yeah. Well, South Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Greenville, South Carolina. And as I was mentioning before we started recording is that um, we anticipate moving probably in about three months. We get this house sold. So right now my wife and I are land barons with two mortgages, but (laughs) But but we'll 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 manage and then get to move to Greenville and also as mentioning there is so much to explore there. We fell in love with the area last January when we visited um, the the city. We were at the East Coast Spirit Sessions in Myrtle Beach. Traveled about three and a half hours due west to visit some friends. They showed us the town and we fell rapturously in love with the entire area and and we just closed on the house a few weeks ago so we're very excited that's great did you find the right house almost immediately or did you look around for a while we looked around for a while uh, i did the zillow thing almost yeah. immediately getting home uh in january and kept on checking and liking this house saving this house and we found this one particular house that uh, we thought, oh, this is too good to be true. It's going to be gone by the time we visit in July, January. And sure enough, it was still available. We looked at it. Uh, we're going through some remodeling and upgrading and, and updating some things. So that's actually kind of a blessing that we're not moving immediately. So we don't have to be in that <laughs> construction dust and debris. Right. And 
Yeah. So it'll be all ready for us turnkey when we walk in in a couple of months. Now it's not going to be too far from Asheville. And I've never been there, but I've heard that Asheville is absolutely gorgeous also. It is. Um, I would visit Asheville during my previous job, as I called my my full-time overtime job. And I spoke at workshops and uh, they called the Institute back there and would visit Asheville, as well as attending the Pendland School, which is a fine art and craft school where I learned printmaking and bookbinding. And my wife learned weaving on a floor loom, as well as tapestry weaving. Hmm. And uh, we just fell in love with the, the whole area. And seriously, uh, when we when I first went there about 17 years ago to the Carolinas or to the Southeast, I thought, I could live here. This is wonderful. And sure enough, here we are, a dream come true. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, uh, you were talking about a couple of things. One was about the spiritual con- uh, conference you attended, but then also about some of the corporate work you did in a previous life. So do you still do some of the speaking, I guess, and doing workshops uh, yes. now as you did before and just have some of the same clients or have expanded that or what? Actually, I have expanded on the magical and performing side of things, with, re, uh, but retaining some of my corporate clients and um, just kept that, that just, I, I haven't closed that silo off completely. Mm-hmm. I did close the consulting silo and then kept the performing silo, made it bigger and just right-sized the corporate work so that it's still fun for me to do. And I get to pick those gigs uh, a little more judiciously Yeah, and um, say, do I want to go there? Do I want to do this? Do I like these people? And if the answer is yes, then I'll continue to do that. But the performing <laughs> has definitely expanded in the last eight years. And do you incorporate a lot of uh, mentalism or tricks or anything in the, into your workshops? Yes, I use the magic and the mind reading and uh, things of that nature, illusions of the mind or whatever you want to call it, uh, to illustrate message points. So, for instance, um, I speak about leadership and how do you influence a company culture. And to illustrate that point, I actually use a, a pendulum. And I bring somebody on stage. They, I teach them how to use the pendulum. And then... At each of the tables at the in the uh, say the uh, conference room, and we might have thirty tables. There's also a pendulum, and I illustrate that by affecting change and affecting positive results here with this person on stage. We can then influence that in other places, and before long, the entire room has a pendulum going. Hmm. And I borrowed that directly from a nightclub act that I did some time ago in which use pendulums and people at their tables would then engage and they get to take a pendulum home. And uh, just, you know, it's like a group therapy or it's a group interaction that was very, very successful for me. So I thought I could use this to illustrate this point about leadership and affecting positive change and positive cultures within a company. And uh, it translated very well. So it's more than just yes or no, or 
the pregnancy is going to be a boy or a girl kind of a thing, I guess. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. Now, when you give them the pendulums, I assume that they construct them themselves or are they already made like with a chain or how? Is yeah, that? they're, they're already made. Um, like with crystals. And, uh, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I saved the crystal ones or the semi-precious stones for special guests, but Within the package that a, a conference goer would receive, there is a string and a washer. And we talk about the mind-body connection and everybody can play with it and have a good time. Right. So, yeah. So you teach them the basics of that, I guess, first. And then is that something that you have like back of the room type sales of saying, hey, we've got nicer ones here if you want to buy that? It depends on the venue and it depends yeah. on the client, you know, um, but I do have back of the room sales that books that I've written, um, not unlike what Richard, Richard Webster would do. They're not right. as, they're not as uh, elaborate as Richard's, but they can buy the pendulum. They can buy the guidebook and um, that works out pretty well, as well as just an ESP testing kit. And here's a little tip that I'll give the magicians out there is that the tests with big quotation marks around that that are described within, do I have ESP, reflects some of the things I did on stage. I make no claims, but it's just a fun way for people to, uh, if nothing else, get in touch with their inner selves. And, and I emphasize that more than psychic powers. And uh, I don't use a disclaimer but I don't claim anything at the same time. I sort of leave that nebulous when I do my mentalism shows. I was wondering about that. That was going to be one of my questions of whether that you actually do use disclaimers, but you don't. Uh, well, I remember Bob Cassidy also talking about how that you need to identify your powers. So this way that you can't, it's not like you are Superman and you can have x-ray vision and super strength and fly and everything like this. But basically there are a few things or one thing that you're really good at. So have you identified a power that you convey to your audiences? Yes. In fact, the name of my uh, mentalism show is called Connections. And I emphasize personal connections that we can make with one another. And how do we enhance that? As well as people being able to use their, uh, their imaginations, as well as their ability to look within themselves. And again, the mentalism effects reflect that, let's call it philosophy, if, if nothing else. Right, okay. And yeah, and, um, and that's sort of what I focus in on. I, I don't bend metal. Uh, not without a blowtorch and a wrench, <laughs> you know, right. and but not I, with the mind, <laughs> not with the mind. That's right. With a big hammer, perhaps. But you might call it, Scott, sort of the classic mentalism stuff. So I, I'm, I, I like electronics. I don't use electronics. I think they're great, but I am definitely afraid of them. I mean, I've been doing this yeah. since I was in my early 20s. Yeah. And so that's tells you how long I've been doing this. My first mentalism effect ever published was in Bascom Jones magic. So tells you how long I've been doing this and, and it's, it's not propless. I can do that, but it's, it's also 
again, classic mentalism is the best way to describe it. One of the things I really love to specialize in, and it illustrates the connections that we make with one another is, is psychometry. And in my, in my new show that's coming that I'm still producing right now called, let me get this name right. It's love, death, madness, and mystery. I have a member of the audience engage in psychometry. I won't describe the entire routine until it's ready for prime time. I will be premiering it um, pretty soon at one of the conferences. And I'm very, very excited about it. So I demonstrate some psychometry and then I have somebody from the audience come up and, and do it as well. And, and it's, it's tied in a little bit with mentalism, but also there's storytelling. Um, you might want to call it bizarre magic. Uh, but there's a story behind the objects that this person is holding and using and imagining or trying to visualize what this person was like and mm -hmm. come to find out they're mostly correct. And it's, I've, I've done it for small groups and for preview audiences, but I think the full routine will be revealed either in November or in January at East Coast Spirit Sessions again. I'm, I'm, I'm probably saving it for January, but it's one of the bits that I'm putting together for this, this uh, full show. But the Connections ESP show or the Connections Mind Reading show uh, is, uh, I still use psychometry and I, I have my own approach to it. I solved some of the problems that Animan had with the dramatic structure of the routine so that there is a, uh, a definitely conclusion and it just doesn't end. There's a dramatic moment in which uh, you can say, okay, oh, that's great. It's done. That it builds, and I don't actually. do 10. I do five people, just five. Hmm. Okay. We have listeners of all different backgrounds, interests, and skill sets from mentalism, illusions, and escapes, or whatever it is, in close-up, and some that are beginners who may not know what psychometry is. So could you briefly explain that, too? Sure. Uh, it's the alleged ability for an individual to um, touch an object that, that belonged to someone, and the, uh, the person that touches that object then can tell things about the owner in a mysterious way and reveal uh, it might be some cold reading involved, reveal some character traits about that individual, as well as in the classic routine, that object is returned to the, to the person. But I learned early on, and I may have shared this story with you before, when I first started doing, I did magic full-time or mentalism full-time and I starved. So uh, but one of the gigs that I had, oh, it was tough. It's, oh, it, it's, it's a difficult life. And I admire. It, it is. And I want to talk about that a little bit later then also about some of the audiences and how you get them to, to buy into what you're doing, because everyone loves magic, but not everybody loves or even understands metalism and particularly more of what you do, but go ahead. What right. are you saying? So um, one of the things that I would do is early on is I would have this circuit of, fraternity groups uh, like the Lions Club, Lion, uh, Odd Fellows and Elks Lodge and stuff within the Los Angeles, Riverside, Orange and San Bernardino counties. And I had this circuit 
and I would perform generally for the ladies auxiliary because uh, at that time, the wives, spouses, and girlfriends were not allowed to be full-fledged members of those organizations. And Hmm. so when the men got together to do their secret ceremonies or smoke cigars in the ceremonial room, whatever they were doing, uh, the women would have a dinner and I would be the entertainment. And I would return, I would do the whole circuit. And then about three times a year, I would go to each of these locations and I would return. So the second time it was in Redlands, California, and I returned, did a different act, you know, because it's the same audience. I have to have a new act. Right. Exactly. And yeah. So it really pushed me to learn new it challenges. You. Oh, it absolutely does. So I'm packing up and um, a couple of the ladies came up and, and they were very, very welcoming and very nice. And they said, uh, Terry, could you do the thing where you held our rings? And, and I wasn't prepared to do it because I would use envelopes and other enclosures. And they said, well, I didn't bring any envelopes. Oh, no, no, no. That's okay. And they just simply took their rings off and gave it to me. And I learned instantaneously, and I'm not the first mentalist to understand this. In fact, Cassidy and I had that, this very discussion that they don't care that you can return the items to them. Right. They're interested in hearing about themselves and learning something about themselves, gaining some insight. Get a reading. Yeah. You give them a reading. And that sort of changed the way I approach it now. Now, I st- because I'm still a magician, I'd still like to return the item because I think that is good stagecraft. And, um, but the, the problem with that approach with, with just returning the item to its original owner is that, uh, again, you, you do three of them and they build in difficulty the way I've got it structured. And the last two, you know, it's either it's a 50 future chance I'm going to get it right. So right. I, I, I changed that ending and I won't go get into it too much, but they get it at the same time. They oh. each get their own separate secret message that I give them. And of course, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm correct. So and uh, they both sit down. Yeah, same and time, I sit yeah. down and I, I ask them, you know, does, you know, did that help you? Does that help you? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, you've been wonderful. So it, that's the staging that I do now. And it's much more, I think, dramatically interesting than perhaps just saying, oh, Betty, this is yours. And this, oh, we have one left. It must be yours, June. Right. And I just like that. Again, no, that's the. That's the inherent problem of that psychometry type of uh, of effect. And so the way that I have gotten out of that is I would not know their names beforehand, but when it comes down to it, it says, well, obviously this last one is going to be yours. And so let me see if I can tell you something more about yourself. And then I would maybe do a reading or at least say, Bill, this is yours or Cindy or whomever, that right. um, it's some information that had not previously been revealed, basically. Uh, right. so, but there has to be some sort of an ending or a kicker to psychometry for that to work. Cause otherwise you're right. The, the last two are 50, 50, and then it's not quite as, as interesting. Then obviously the last person is like, uh, it kind of peters out there at the end. If you don't have a good kicker. Yeah. I do that for the third person, Scott. Um, so that the first one, I'll just go ahead and 
give us rough outline, if you don't mind. The first one is I get an area of the room. This belongs to somebody that's in this area and then return it, you know, after they reveal themselves and maybe say a few things, this is what I'm picking up and just a few things. The second person I give a little more information to the third person. I reveal who gave it to them, their name and how long they've had it. It's very, very special. And that's the, that's the, the peak of the drama. So the last two in, in a sense are a denouement to the entire routine. And I just think it makes for me, at least that's the way I like to do it. And it has some kind of dramatic structure. And I, I was mentioning before I spent some time in Tuscany with Luke Germain and I, and I'm an admitted fanboy of, <laughs> of his work and of his performance. And I've always admired his staging uh, even more than his methods. His, his sense of stagecraft is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that he uses this bowl of water and it's, and it makes theatrical sense and it makes sense in terms of the uh, alleged ability he washes hands between each object and i said oh i'd really like to do that but i don't want to steal it from him he goes oh i don't do it anymore steal it i don't care and (laughs) i said okay i'll do that and he (laughs) mentions the fact the reason he does it is because he likes to put his hands in the water and he shoots the water out from his fingertips under a single Mm -hmm. spot and it makes for a very dramatic moment and he said every routine that you do look for that one dramatic moment that people will remember yep that's they may not remember anything else but they remember the water coming out or something or something falling or whatever so that is um uh, seems like i've heard teller talk about something like that once that it just whenever you put something in one hand and you open it and it's gone that's not a mystery but if you tap it with a magic wand then it becomes magic yes good point. something has it, to happen yeah it, it, yes indeed that's the theatrical uh, attribute that he added to that with the magic wand so it, it does make sense yeah i can see that very clearly now, when you are doing these shows, then also for, well, you, you said for some of the fraternal organizations, the spouses, the, the, the women, I guess, uh, of the uh, members, did you have any pushback from that? Or were they openly uh, ready to have their palms read or their minds open? I mean, I would think there are some, I, well, I definitely know from my experience that there are certain parts of the country in which you cannot do some seances or, uh, gosh, I remember it was one place that they, I, I did a card trick and I shouldn't have because they, you know, cards were of the devil basically. Yeah. But uh, I would think that there are times in which you've got an audience that might have members, although the person who had hired you is is bought into it full time, but they may have some members saying, eh, I don't think I'm going to be coming to the meeting or uh, that doesn't sound interesting to me. Right. And um, I've faced that a couple of times, not often. Um, for one thing, I I try not to come across as the the mental Superman. But again, I'm presenting this as ways for us to connect to one another. And that's sort of the foundational philosophy of how I approach this. Um, 
And then I have my standard answer when they come up to me and they say, well, was that real or was that fake? And, and I answer very simply, uh, what do you think? What do you well, think? I'm not exactly. Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I said, well, there's nothing I could say or do to change your mind. I hope you had fun. because That's why I did it. And that yeah. seems to satisfy that question. Yeah, it's like whenever that uh, Jamie Salinas and I will do our seances, I always open it up by saying, for those who believe no explanation is necessary, for those who don't, no explanation will suffice. So it's pretty much kind of what you were saying uh, then as well. Reminds me, first time I saw Glenn Falkenstein working at the Magic Castle, and he had done his blindfold uh, mask routine. And afterward, after the show was over, he was standing over to the side, and there were people lined up wanting to find out Am I going to get married? Am I going to get this job promotion? You know, is my son going to get better or whatever? I mean, uh, and I mean, he kind of left himself open to answering a lot of questions like that. Do you shut that down before it begins or how do you handle a situation like that? Um, if I'm hired to do it, I'll do it. Hmm. If it's outside the purview of my my contract, um, I will explain you know, oh, I'm I'm so sorry. I was I was hired today to be your entertainment tonight. I I don't do uh, this after my performance, but I hope you had a good time. Now, if I've been hired to do that, to do palmistry or something, um, then sure. Uh, there's a great story. Um, I I got to I got to see Richard Webster at the meeting of the minds recently in Indianapolis, and. Uh, he talks about the fact that he was kicked out of a magic club in uh, New Zealand yeah, because he was part of sort of a, a troupe of performers, uh, a couple of traditional uh, magicians, uh, magicians, you know, stage magicians and close-up magicians. And he was there to read palms mm -hmm. and he had a line that went down the, um, down the, around the block practically. And they, the other guys didn't like that. So they kicked him out. <laughs> they were and, jealous. Oh, they were. And, and Richard, as you know, Scott, is the most gentle man I have ever met. And he is just just a, a sweet soul and sincere and welcoming. And he has a, a disarming smile. And um, so, you know, I can I can see him being just taken aback by that 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 uh that action that that club took so but you just take it on the chin and you find a different client you know yeah no that's true uh and the different kinds of things that you will offer uh as far as mentalism and seances and other kinds of things do you have some that are hmm, more serious than others i mean when you're going to be actually saying we're going to get into it as opposed to having some lighthearted comedy magic. Right. I'm not a funny person, Scott. I am not <laughs> a, a comedian. Okay. I, I can barely. It's important to recognize what you do, you know? Oh, it is. Now you do take advantage of uh, the natural humor that can come out of a situation. Of course. But yeah, you take advantage of that, but I do come off as sincere, friendly, welcoming, and then at the appropriate time may get serious and, and even do a pseudo pool, a poll of the audience saying, this has been fun. 
do you mind if we try something just a little odd mm -hmm. and then go into that if they say yes and i've never gotten a no so it, it's sort of a balance the seance of course is a very different kind of approach as opposed to a mentalism show um and there are interesting and sometimes naturally humorous things that can happen during a spirit session. And, and you mentioned something also by using the word uh, seance. Uh, sometimes you do not want to use that word. You might call it right. a uh, haunted. Ha my, my, my tagline is strange stories and haunted happenings. And so I may say, this is what it is. We're going to be recreating some of the things that happened in the mid 19th century using their techniques and tools to see what kinds of things, mysterious things will happen. Um, and there uh, are different kinds of seances. Uh, and I always say that there's no wrong seance. There's just a different seance. And I have sort of evolved from sort of the traditional seance that a magician might think he wants to put on to one in which I do now, which is there's no intentional jump scares. It is more of a, uh, for lack of a better term, a psychological seance. The eeriness okay. is there. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it's an ungimmicked seance from beginning to end. Uh, the current one I'm doing and I've been doing it so much now I'm getting tired of it. I may go back to the jump scares because it's like, <laughs> ah, I want to challenge myself to do something uh, different. Uh, it's a theatrical seance without, um, without a play line. It just happens. You know, I have a structure that I followed even with the, the traditional or the more theatrical seance, like I said, the uh, magician might want to do. Um, I still have the same structure of how to put it together. And I developed that years ago and it was published in the old seance magazine that Scott Moore Davis put out. Sure. And that is um, the structure is actually in, uh, one of the issues, um, Scott was kind enough to do a Terry Tyson issue. And so I, I, I shared with them a fully scripted seance, but this, the, the, the basic structure has remained the same, even though I do different things within that structure. And um, so let's see, how do I, where is this going? So we, we begin by and it's not uncommon. We, we, we meet and we try to become in rapport, all of one mind. We, I focus in on positive energies and positive intentions. That keeps the bad guys out. As mm -hmm. long as our purpose is, is positive in nature. Um, now, I may change that someday and do one where... Bazuzu himself stands in the middle of the table. I'm not sure, but <laughs> at this point, this is the seance that I'm doing. So you're really not doing like a, a dark seance or a red light seance or anything oh, like it is. that. It it's, is. It is a red light seance, um, and have been doing the red light for 
several years. Um, and it's a combination. It's, it's made with several elements. One is the red light, bottle pendulum, scrying, visualization of a spirit, as well as the typical deep breathing and even sometimes a chant. We, I, I, I borrow some things from the old spiritualistic church in which we, we say, uh, it, back in the day, they would actually sing hymns and say the, the Lord's Prayer before a mm -hmm. seance. I do something that's like an invocation. Uh, there's a call and repeat and call and response portion of it. And we, I let things develop and we start having things happen at the table that are very mysterious and mm -hmm. use that as with big quotation marks around it, evidence that spirits are here or that they're interacting with us. So they're interacting with the pendulum uh, bobs, you know, the crystals, they're interacting with the black stones that they're scrying into mm -hmm. and people see things and report things. Um, there have been some times when um, some strange things happen in the room that I can't explain or was not in control. I could probably explain it if I took time to do that. Um, but they, I just let it happen and let it, let it be as it is and let the people enjoy it and be, and be mystified. Um, on my website, I, I was able to share a short video of several people that came to the seance and what did they experience? And one of them is great. He goes, I'm not sure what I saw or what was going on or if it was real, but I did feel a connection between every single person in this room. That's and great. to me, that, that is a win Yeah, that he felt that connection between all of us. And it was this group experience. And again, it sort of falls back on the foundation of my approach to performing mentalism, which is, you know, connections that we make with, with one another. At the seance, do you actually sit at a table and they're joining hands or joining fingers or are, are there people seated outside the circle or you just Again, have one it, table? It's just you. What? How do you handle I, yours? I've done as many as four. And at that time, I had a colleague, his name is, name is Matt Bruce, assist me so that I'm sort of overseeing two tables. I am sitting at one and Matt is sitting at another table and he's watching two tables as well. And we're coaching and we're asking, what are you experiencing? What's happening? Um, and I've done three tables by myself in a room with people sitting on the outside. I did the seance for the meeting of the minds um, and they have never seen anything like it. They had heard about it. They read about it. And it was a very unique experience for them. And, and we're talking about mentalists, the most, skeptical of all people that in the in the magic world and while they weren't mystified per se they still were intrigued by it and man to me again that's a win if i can get that person to be intrigued and interested and and we hear a lot this this is a refrain we hear a lot we create a sense of wonder yes and and that's what took place in that room uh and what you in a, in a room full of mentalists. 
And when you're saying that you're overseeing a table or two or three or four, uh, these tables have people seated around them. And so they're having their own unique experience. And you're, it's kind of like what I can envision almost like where a chess master would have different chess pieces or chess games going on at different places. And you go from one table to the next and, and then you go back and then move this piece or whatever. So is that kind of like what you're doing with the seance? Yeah, pretty much. I'd stay seated at the table generally, unless I need to get up um, to take care of anything that might develop. And I'll explain what happened during one. Um, and uh, and it cut to the point we were doing two seances a night for several weeks and we sold out every single one. And, and it was... How much do you charge for a seance per person? It depends on the location but anywhere between 30 to $50 per person. Okay. And, um, and I think that's a fair price yeah. for about an hour's worth of entertainment. Right. Right. Uh, it's, it's not over the moon. Some people say you're not charging enough and I feel comfortable with that price range and it, it pays for my uh, martinis. So I'm happy. <laughs> I like your thinking. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. So, so I interrupted your saying. No, that's okay. So generally seated at the table, their hands are on the table. They're not joining hands in this particular seance. Their hands are on the table. Uh, there are times when they remove their hands for uh, depending on what's about to happen or what I need to happen. Um, um, and then, so what happened? So at the, towards the, and, oh, 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 oh. So invariably, you know, and I, I asked people, oh, we had so many tables and so many names that I actually just started numbering the tables one through four and table number three, what's happening. Um, and they would report, report in. And um, so anyway, and, you know, people are reporting what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, but invariably after it's over, People come up and said, I don't want to say anything, but this is what happened. And they'll reveal something that's very interesting, you know, and very unique. And I said, did it feel special? Did you feel safe? And I asked that question repeatedly. Hmm. Does everyone feel safe? Good question. If so, we can continue. And if they don't feel safe, we, we might ask that particular person, you know, would you like to leave the room? Would you like to leave the table and sit on the edge? Right. Um, that kind of thing. I, I want to respect my audience in that regard. But invariably, people will always come up with stuff that it's like, wow, that was quite an experience that you had. That's pretty, that's pretty great. Uh, that's probably never happened. It may not ever happen again. You know, so please remember what took place tonight. Um, and um so anyway, one of the things that I do is I will have generally somebody at the sitting, if there's enough people there sitting off to the side, and I've got a, a, an antique hand mirror, and I ask them to observe things through the mirror because mirrors have a mystical quality, you know, throughout in legend and in myth that, you know, you're not seeing just a reflection of yourself, but perhaps something 
different that's on the other side of that mirror, you know, appropriate script. And so we're bringing things to a close. And one of the guys that's holding the mirror and he goes, I see something in the mirror. I see a, a form. I said, okay, let's ask him to leave. And we did. And he says, he's not leaving. And I said, let's ask him again. He's not leaving. I said, okay. And I use bells to quote, clean the room and chase away the bad guys and small bells to, to bring the positive energies in. And I picked up my bell and I picked up this very wicked looking pendulum that um, it's, it's an iron cross on one end and a coffin nail at the other. It's a product that I got from Richard Darkness, I believe his name was. And I apologize that I can't remember who I bought it from. So I'm going to get, you know, it's my exorcism kit, as it were. And so I walk up with the bell. I'm about to ring. It goes, up. Oh, he's gone. I said, okay, very good. We don't have to, we don't have to use extreme measures. So you have to be prepared for lots of things. For instance, you have to be prepared for someone, if you're performing for members of the metaphysical, metaphysical community, they often, there might be one or two that will be, that will claim to be, um, mediums on their in their own right and i i don't claim to be a medium i click i claim to be a seance master the the guide through this thing and they will attempt to take over the proceedings hmm. at their table at their table yep absolutely so i have a mm -hmm. way of <clears throat> bringing it back sometimes it's just by slapping the table very loud and in a demanding voice and i say be gone spirit you have not i have not invited you here hmm. and um and then if i have to i'll go up and i'll lightly touch the this person's shoulders i'll say okay i want you to close off your mediumship now and it does two things it, i regain control of the room right and i allow that person to save face um so okay okay I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Thank you so much. I appreciate your cooperation. So yeah, you have to be, you have to be ready for all kinds of inevitabilities. You said there were a couple of things that have happened over the time as well, that uh, if you had the time, you could maybe explain it through, but at first blush, I guess it'd be something It's like, well, that was kind of weird. Yeah. It, there was a, um, a figure in the corner of the room that I glimpsed and somebody else did and a couple others saw it. And, and Scott, I don't know if it was the night security guard sneaking in or, or what, but that was a surprise. That was a surprise. <laughs> the individual with the mirror that said that they can't get rid of what they are seeing in the mirror. Yeah. And so that was a surprise. Um, uh, so yeah, there was some, interesting things or just like in any magic show true whether you're conjuring you know um cards from your fingertips to calling up and again quotation marks spirits into the room it um you have to be ready for things that don't go as planned or within your Right. Your, uh, plan of the, the script or whatever. And I do right. script my shows. I do have 
a scripted dialogue that I say, so I know what to say, and then use that as the uh, sort of the, the structure of how things should progress. Um, and, you know, what to say at the beginning, during, and then after, that kind of thing. And then you have to become an improv actor and just go with things as they present themselves. That's true. Uh, absolutely. As you say, with magic as well as in mentalism, particularly in mentalism, I believe, because, I mean, we're talking about seances then particularly right now, but as a mentalist, um, you have to, you're walking a, a fine line, then sometimes things may not go exactly as how you want them to. The person, you may have an intuition that, you know, 90% of the time this person, you, this is going to be correct, but you're not always going to be right. And so you need to be able to to handle that situation in the few times that you're wrong. So likewise, yeah. I think with seances. Yeah. And then one of the things I've learned too, let's say you have a participant that you weren't getting any hits on. I walk up to them afterwards and talk to them and say, I am so sorry that I, I wasn't picking up more things from you. Or you weren't connecting. Right. And sometimes they'll say, well, you were, but I was trying to trick you. I said, that's okay. <laughs> did, you, did you have fun? And I don't yeah. take it personally. I, I, I don't, you know, smack the guy around his ears uh, and just say, yeah. as long as you had fun, you know. <laughs> Well, you mentioned that. something else a little bit earlier about saying that you identify then as a seance master. That was uh, going to be a question I was going to get to because I believe it's important when you go into a seance and you're conducting one of whether you are a medium or you're trying to be a psychic, you're trying to be a uh, maybe a fortune teller, you're able to see across the veil, uh, you are able to pull someone from the other side or back and forth, or whether that, like in my case, it's kind of like I'm just here for the journey and the voice like the rest of you trying to figure out is there something over there or not right and the other the other role that you can take um of course is a historical figure in Correct. which you you playing the the part of a historical medium and you can ad and adopt and that's made very clear that it's a role that you're playing and you can then assume or take on the things that they did or the, the alleged powers that they exhibited during a seance. Like if you're trying to call on Jack the Ripper kind of a thing, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or that's a character that you bring in, but a person that you're going to embody as, Oh, the, oh I see. As the director of the seance. Gotcha. You know, uh, as the performer. Um, yeah. I don't do Jack the Ripper. Um, I don't do the Titanic. Titanic, yeah. Um, there are several other uh, tropes that are adopted. They're very, some of them are just great. A buddy of mine, Zeke Powers, does a great job with the Titanic thing. And uh, just engaging and fun and mysterious. Um, you know, we're talking about Paul Nofsinger and Paul Prater. They have their own uh, approach to this. Um, so, but it, it, I, I try to come off as somebody like you're perhaps not unlike what you're doing in that you're the guide, you know, we're right. Uh, I know the, I know the process. I know how to get this done. Let's follow the process and, and check these boxes to get where we want to go. Yeah. And see if we can actually uncover something along our, along our journey. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I make it a point not to call the spirits of relatives 
of anybody right. in the room. Uh, some, and, somebody who's going to cause some sort of emotional problem with people, right? Well, they're going to start crying. Thing, yeah. And that happens anyway, because people will sense the presence of their relative in the room. I did not do that. I, I make it very clear that if they come in, that's of their own free will, but to ask them to come in to our circle is sort of, they're, they're hopefully at peace and, and right. doing well. And to ask them to come is like walking through their front door without knocking. Mm -hmm. And so they are welcome to visit us. Uh, and, and, be, and I also make it clear that the, the name of the seance is that the, the world is haunted. And I said, there are spirits in this room. We don't have to call anybody necessarily from the other side that are, you know, peace at rest. Now, do you use so a Ouija board at all? I haven't. Um, I have used um, upturned wine glasses and yeah. yes, no cards and alphabets. That seems to be a little more socially acceptable than Ouija tarot boards. cards. Uh, tarot cards. Um, only in the sense of what do the cards reveal? Not necessarily mm -hmm. that they have power, but interesting. This is what the tarot card says. And I just do an interpretation of the cards and allow the sitter to interpret it for themselves. One of the things that uh, I've learned also is when you're doing readings for people, you can ask questions to gain insight more than you need to tell them things and they will give you that information and then you just parrot it back and maybe reinterpret it uh in a in a way so that they might be able to understand what they're they've just shared and i think that is that's a very easy way to to do an effective reading right right i know that paul draper and Jamie Sleens has got some work on that about the hero's journey, I believe. Yes. Where they had the points of the star or something in which you ask them questions and then basically you're telling them back some of the answers that they've already given you. Yes. And you say, so just oh, elaborate. Yes. You elaborate. I'd say, well, it's interesting because this card has these elements and they point in this direction or they reveal something about you've just shared with me. Is mm -hmm. that, is that helpful? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And by the way, if you're going to do tarot, you better damn well know tarot. Because <laughs> I, I've learned that too. Yes. Yes. Magicians say, oh, I'll just make it up as I go. And they're no. going to find <laughs> a good percentage of their audience knows, even if you study tarot, they're going to know a lot more than you. That's so true. if you try to interpret a card incorrectly or just off the cuff, you're going to be embarrassed. So don't do that. Good advice right there. Yeah. There we going full circle. We were talking earlier about pendulums, and I do have to compliment you. I think that is a brilliant pendulum that you have by putting it into a bottle. I mean, that it seems that whenever you're holding a pendulum, that people might think, well, it's an idiom idiometer kind of thing that just through reflexology and I'm moving my muscles or whatever. By putting it though into the bottle the way you do and then for it to move with your method i think is brilliant well thank you i, I can't claim originality for that bottle pendulums have been around for centuries 
Okay. Um, I just hadn't seen it until I saw you using it. Oh, oh okay. No, I, I wish I could claim ownership, um, but they've been around for a very long time. Some of the descriptions on some of the old books on using them are really terrible. Hmm. They don't tell you any information on how to really do it and how to make it work. So through, oh man, I think I first revealed my bottle pendulum approach was in Chicago. Berger was there and I don't remember the year. I'm sorry, the late eighties probably. And um, it was either a meeting of the minds or an invocational. And um, he says, oh, I've never seen it done that way. I said, well, this is the way I just been monkeying with it in the experiment. You find out what works. And there's great books out there that are better than others. Um, But my approach, I think, is is just a little nuanced that makes it work for me. And I also use in the script for the seance because we demonstrated them. I have a box. It's like a jewelry box full of pendulums that before we go into the seance chamber um, that uh, people are allowed, we do it as a group. Uh-huh. And I certainly use the ones that are very responsive for it to sit at certain places on the, at the table. And so I, I indicate now, this is how it works. And I explain, Scott, this is how a pendulum works, that your mind sends signals to your hand that makes it work. Right. But what's that? And to me, that is magical. That is wonderful because, and the method I call, I call it the CSI method, the cognitive, the subconscious, and the intuitive method. So that the first round is they're cognitively moving it. You know, they're thinking about visualizing it and then subconsciously they're moving it. And then they ask it a question and the intuition takes over. And um, so I mentioned, this is, you know, this is how they work. There's a mind body connection, but the mind is, is an amazing thing and it's picking Mm -hmm. up information. It's uh, more faster than we can recognize or understand. That's how they work when you're in your hand. When there is, when they're in a bottle, there's no human hand, no living human hand touching them. Right. But I do believe the spirits will be drawn to them because they are attracted for one reason or another to the crystals or the energy that they, um, they uh, exhibit, or just because as they move through the room, they may interact with those pendulums and they begin to move. Mm-hmm. And and that seems to work pretty well as far as the scripting of the seance goes in, in the display of that phenomenon. Speaking of crystals, and this is kind of an aside story, and I think kind of funny. I was with uh, my friend uh, Don Weiberg. One year we went to a flea market, and there was a place that was selling crystals. And he was set up to do Barry Richardson's uh, Haunted Key, and so it, which is a great method. And so he, uh, they were talking about the crystals. And so he held a crystal in one hand, put the key in the other hand. And uh, when the key rolled over uh, completely and, you know, inside of a closed fist, uh, you know, that's a great effect right there. But there was just absolutely nothing with this other person. They said, yeah, that's what the crystal does. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's, yes, that's it's great. Yeah. To do that. yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah no big deal. I get it. Yeah, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Um, there's a there's a uh, story that a lot of uh, magicians tell uh, or mentalists tell. They they go into a, a antique store and they're several keys and the shopkeeper is watching and the key begins to move and they simply say take the key and that happened to me uh, i was working on a uh, a cruise ship and we were in Lyon, and uh-huh. my wife was not feeling well so i went ashore by by myself to get her some stomach stuff to make her feel better yep. and there was a flea market so one guy had a bucket full of old keys and I started pulling them out one at a time and see how the how they worked. And I found a couple. And of course, the shopkeeper and his assistant were looking at me. And I said, I'll take these two. And he goes, Monsieur, take them, take them, leave, leave, leave. I said, okay, well, thank you. And that 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 story has been repeated many times by other practitioners that are experiencing the same thing. Yeah. It's like, no, we don't want anything to do with that. You go ahead and just take it away from us. Uh, get like that, that out of our shop. Yeah. Um, one last thing you were talking about also the invocation from way back you know, when I never had the opportunity to meet Tony Andruzzi, but mm-hmm. uh, what was he like? Was he kind of like what everybody said he was? Was he a little bit different? Yeah, he was, but there was, he was a multifaceted individual. He was like a rare gem that depending on how you look at it or how you approached a gem, it'll look different and react different. He can be loud, boisterous, and just a a personality is bigger than the room. At the same time, and because I was very young, I think he he was very patient, very kind to me. He was also, and he was very kind and very soft and we would laugh and, and I would ask him questions and I would share what I'm doing and whatnot. And I won't say he took me under his wing, but he was certainly like a patient grandfather in many cases. Yes. Very nice. Yeah. And um, some of his things that he did uh, didn't work. I think it was Max Maven who said that the books on bizarre magic bizarre magic is a literary tradition as opposed to a performance tradition because you read some of these things they're impractical they only work once in a blue moon but they just captivate your imagination and so um that's andrewsy did the same thing Mm -hmm. and yeah he he had a he had his demons that he that he fought internally and on stage. You know, Pazuzu. He he fought with Pazuzu on stage. Wow. Okay. That's I'd heard that, but um, hmm. so I just kind of reconfirms that as well. Well, as we start to wrap up over here, the name of my podcast is called the uh, Magic Word. And it's because I'd like to know what it is that is important to people. That is, what's your philosophy of life? I mean, there's been a few things you've talked about, but what is it that makes you tick? What's important? Yeah, something that I tr- that is mindfulness. Um, through my meditative practice and through my relationship with my amazing wife, I try to be mindful of mm-hmm. things around me within me and 
how I react to different good times and bad times. So I would say mindfulness is my magic word. Well, that's very good because that also would uh, help with you being a successful mind reader and mentalist because you have to be very aware of all your surroundings and people and what they do and everything. So be mindful. Sounds great. Terry, I've just thoroughly enjoyed this. It's like, I can't believe that uh, time has passed so quickly. Uh, And I look forward to uh, getting a chance to visit with you again personally here sometime uh, then soon. So uh, I wish you nothing but the best here this uh, Halloween season and beyond, because I know that seances are not just for the Halloween season. You can do them all year. You can. And sometime when we have a chance, we'll talk about different venues and different ways that you can perform or present seances and in different locations. That'll be a nice discussion to have someday. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be necessarily in a structured environment. It, you know, obviously, in, it could be in people's homes, uh, yep. which is more private there as well. And uh, people have been having their friends over and kind of introducing them to uh, to you. So anyhow, that'd be that's great. I look forward to that as well and having a martini or two as we're doing it. As that we're sounds like a winner to me. <laughs> Speaking my language, brother. Oh, yeah. So for the Magic Word Podcast, that was Terry Tyson. This is Scotty out. Thank you very much, Terry, for your words of wisdom. I certainly appreciate that, and I hope you listeners got a lot out of that also. It's not too late, although we're in the final countdown here before Halloween, and if you have an opportunity to do a seance, maybe you've already got some things in mind, but perhaps adding a pendulum might be something that you might want to consider and taking some of Terry's tips in mind. Uh, Also, if you are not doing a seance and you might be interested in conducting one or doing something for next year or throughout this coming year, it doesn't have to be during the Halloween season, I would suggest then perhaps that you go to the website at themagicwordpodcast.com and there you will click on a thing on the tab that will say Scott's, Scott Wells Lecture Notes and it'll open up a page with some other things and you can download a copy of Creating the Paranormal Experience, which is not just a book of tricks by, in fact, there are only a few tricks in there, but basically how it is that you create a seance and what you need to do, how you find the right venue, etc. Basically the marketing of a seance. Well, listen, I appreciate you guys listening uh, here this week and also this past month. This next week, we're going to be going to the Trix Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there is going to be just a little bit of uh, fine-tuning of some of the numbering system, in which right now we're at 798, and I do have a special episode that is planned for number 800, which I'm going to hold until the week after we get back from Trix Convention. But I'll be giving some daily reports from Charlotte, North Carolina at the Trix Convention then next week. So come back and listen to that. And also be sure to subscribe to the pod letter. If you just go to the magicwordpodcast.com, you'll see a place there where you can subscribe to the pod letter. That way you keep up to date with what's happening from week to week. Well, until next week, stay well, get booked, and remember to be mindful of things around you, within you, and how you react to things during good times and bad times. This is Scotty out and happy Halloween. <laughs>